The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or at lifehousechurch.org. What if, because it sometimes hurts so much, you just stop trying so hard and you just quit? Gotta be really candid with you. Personally, I feel like I try really hard to do what's right. And then, and I'm not saying I always do it, all right? So don't, don't misunderstand me, but I try to do what's right. And when I don't, I try to make it right. It's kind of like one of my lines. Do what's right. And if you don't do what's right, make it right. And, and so, I mean, I, I make it my like, life ambition to live as a godly example. I, I, I want to parent the right way. I want to do what's good. I want to live generously and sacrificially. And yet there's this really weird thing. It's harder than it should be. I kind of thought you'd all be like, yeah. You ever noticed that doing the right thing is disproportionately harder than doing the wrong thing? Loving people is harder than not. Being selfless is harder than being selfish. Like doing bad things seems to be harder than doing good things. Now, I don't know. I can't say I get it, but I can tell you this, that being someone who tries really hard to do what's right and good and best, I get tired of it. Because I think to myself, it should not be this hard. And then I mistakenly open social media and I see everybody else like laughing and having a great time and enjoying their luxury new toys and always having a good, always having fun. And I start to feel jealous. And I throw my hands up in the air some days. And under my breath, I say, I want to give up tired of this. Some of you, your parents, you're trying to parent your kids the right way. In a world that's pulling your kids in a wrong direction and you're getting exhausted. You're going to work every day. Coworkers and people around you and the industry around you is pulling in the wrong direction and you feel like you're fighting the tide just trying to do what's right. And you're getting tired of it. You feel weak in a world of people that seem so strong. You try to hold your marriage together, just doing the right thing. And you feel weak and inadequate to the pressures. So I have an embarrassing confession to make. Some of you will relate. Now, I've never been mistaken for a gym rat. People don't mistake me for like a bodybuilder by any stretch of the imagination, but I do shockingly go to the gym pretty regularly. And uh, I go to a gym where there's not a lot of people. In fact, very often I'm the only person in there early in the morning working out. But I have this moment where like I'm on the last set and the last reps of that set. And I'm doing like an easy exercise, you know, something like, you know, push-ups or, you know, sit-ups or something. And somebody walks in on those last reps and what it looks like is that Patrick can't do a push-up. <laughs> what you don't know, well, won't, we won't brag, right? So, but I've already done a whole bunch. You just happen to catch me on my last set and my lap, last reps. What if you're not weak? You're just weary. What if it's, that you can't, it's not that you can't, it's that you're tired. And then you look around at everybody else I don't know why I'm trying so hard. 
Like you're, you're on the last one. You're like, I'm trying. But why am I even trying so hard? Nobody cares. Nobody knows. So I want to bring you to two letters in the Bible written to a church that did just that. They threw their hands in the air and they said, enough. We're not even going to bother. We're not even going to do the push-ups. We're not going to go to the gym. We're not going to even bother living this out in a world that's against us. Two letters written by a guy named Paul who had previously been a religious terrorist. I mean, he hated Christians and then was radically changed, became a father of Jesus, used his business uh, funds to help start churches. He traveled all across Asia and Europe starting churches everywhere he went. He trained pastors and leaders. He would hand the church off to them and say, okay, now you're in charge. One of the places he went to is Thessalonica, which was a major city in the Roman Empire. It was a large, wealthy, and prominent city, and the church quickly began to grow. Well, that got the attention of the religious and political leaders in the city who didn't want any competition, and so they quickly tried to crush Paul in his effort to continue growing this church. And so uh, under threat, he was told to leave the city. He did. He continued on his missionary journey, and around uh, 50 AD, he was in the city of Corinth. And he's, he got word about what was going on in the church in Thessalonica, which basically was doing push-ups and just said, that's enough, and just gave out. So they went underground, literally underground. You go to the region of Thessalon- where Thessalonica was and is today, it, there's catacombs, they're famous catacombs. You can go down in them and explore them. It's where the church went when they would gather for prayer and worship. They went underground. Why? Because they had to go into hiding because they didn't want to get constantly beat and mistreated. People were losing their jobs and having their businesses shut down. They were being driven out of their homes. And so some of them just quit their jobs preemptively. Like, you're not going to fire me. I'll just quit. They said, you're not going to mistreat me. We'll disappear. And along with them going into hiding, they hid their good works. They hid their best. They hid doing what was right. They gave out. So the apostle Paul is writing to the church. He writes two letters in in 50 AD. One he wrote in the spring. It's literally called the first letter to the Thessalonians. You see the genius behind that. And then the second one, which is called the second letter to the Thessalonians, was written a few months later because Paul heard news from the region of Thessalonica, that the church was just giving up. And then he got worse news, that it, was, it went from bad to worse. And so he wrote a second letter going, no, stop giving up. And so you can jump right into that letter. It's, uh, we're going to go into it. I'm going to read a few passages from it. I've been using this letter in my sermons in the last several weeks. And so we're going to continue with that. Jump into 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. He writes this in verse 2. He goes, we sent Timothy who is our brother and co-worker in God's service and spreading the good news, the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. We want to strengthen and encourage you. Why? (laughs) So that no one would be unsettled by these trials. He goes, you need some encouragement because you're getting unsettled because of the troubles around you. And remember, uh, for those of you that have been around at least a couple of weeks, you know, a little while ago, I did a sermon about unpacking the Bible. And I explained how the Bible wasn't originally written in English. The apostle Paul, when he wrote these letters, he wrote them in Greek uh, and and in common language Greek. And so when he says this word, uh, so that you would not become unsettled 
by these trials. What he's saying is so that you will not be shaken from away from doing what's right. So you will not be go, you get so beat down and discouraged that you, you, you give up and you stop doing what's right and you start doing the wrong things. So you will not be unsettled by these trials and give up on doing what's right. That, that's literally what he's writing here. He goes, so you will not be unsettled by these trials for you know quite well that we are destined for them. He goes, look, I, this is guaranteed. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turns out that way, it turns, turned out that way, as you well know. Meaning, when I was with you, I told you this was gonna happen, and then it happened exactly as I said. So I'm writing to you to remind you that this is what I told you would happen when you receive the good news of God's love, that trials will come and it will shake you. So I'm trying to challenge you. By the way, welcome to Lifehouse. This is where we believe in Jesus and we believe that God is our hope and our strength and you're gonna have trials and troubles because of it. <laughs> Thanks. Man, Patrick, way to encourage me and cheer me on. Hey, at least I'm not trying to fake you out. Hey, you believe in Jesus and everything's gonna be awesome. I mean, you play the lottery, you're gonna win it. You're gonna go to the gym and you're gonna get nothing but buff. And man, marriage is gonna be smooth sailing. Your kids are gonna be perfect. No, the apostle Paul is like, by the way, when you receive this good news, I told you, you're gonna face trials and hardships and troubles. The Apostle Paul, this guy who was formerly a religious terrorist, was actually a guy who endorsed the first Christian martyr, Stephen. It's found in the book of Acts chapter seven, where Stephen was stoned to death simply because he was telling people about Jesus. And this guy, Saul, oversaw his murder. From that moment, a persecution began to break out in the earth. I mean, the church is brand new. And immediately, people are being put to death and running for their lives, and so the church scattered. The cool part of that is everywhere they went, they were telling people about Jesus. And so the, it wasn't just that the church scattered, it spread, sharing good news. Fast forward past the times of the book of Acts, you get, you get to a time around AD 64, when Nero had the city of Rome burned to the ground. A lot of people lost their lives. Obviously, nearly everyone lost their homes. You've heard maybe the story of Nero fiddling while Rome burned. But he didn't want to take blame for it, so he blamed the Christians. That's right. He told everybody that it was the Christians that burned Rome to the ground. And so people lost their family members. Guess who they blamed? Christians. People who lost everything blamed the Christians. And so Nero used it as an opportunity to also crush a group of people that he thought were his biggest threat, Christians, and he began to have them killed. Like they had theaters where they would set up these elaborate um, warrior games and they would use Christians as the victims to kill them. That's during the time, 64 AD is when the apostle Peter and Paul were put to death. So after this writing, you fast forward from 50 AD to 64, Paul, the guy who wrote that letter, is then beheaded in Rome because of his faith in telling people about Jesus. The apostle Peter, one of the founders and leaders of the early church, he's crucified upside down in Rome. Fast forward from that time, you continue over the next about 100 years, you have major persecutions of Christians off and on. You get to around 165 AD, when Trajan is now the uh, emperor of Rome. He 
uh, under the emperor before him and him, they finished the Colosseum. Trajan leads a continued persecution of Christians. There's this guy named Ignatius in the region of Antioch. He's a leader of multiple churches. He's a threat to Rome. And so they have him arrested because he refuses to recant his faith in Jesus and stop telling people about Jesus. They have him arrested. He's gonna get brought to Rome where he becomes the first Christian martyr in the, in the newly erected Colosseum. On his way, he writes a letter. We have a little bit of that letter. Well, actually we have access to the whole letter, but here's a little bit of it. Let me read it to you. He says, only now do I begin to be a disciple of Christ. I care for nothing of the visible or the invisible. When I set my eyes on you, everything else fades. That the world is amazed by. I care only that I I may but win Christ. And then he continues. Don't pray that I be delivered Only pray for me that inward and outward strength be given to me, not only to speak and to write this, but also to perform and endure it. Who is this? Who who is this guy that on his way to certain death says, for the first time, I really feel what it means to become like Jesus. I, I feel closer to him than I ever did before. Everything else I've ever wanted fades as I look to Jesus. I just want to win Jesus. Don't pray for me that God rescues me out of this, just that he gives me the strength to live out what I'm saying. Everyone in the world is going to face hardships, trials, troubles, pain, and suffering. Again, welcome to Life House. <laughs> the difference is how we face it. Ignatius, Paul, what they're challenging us with is this. Never give up. That's it. Thought I'd share something profound with you today. Never give up. Winston Churchill, as the Nazi regime and and the Axis Axis forces were just decimating the allied forces, it it seems like they're going to conquer and they're going to destroy. The, the, uh, the United Kingdom is being bombed over and over and over again. And there's this famous speech by Winston Churchill that says, we will fight them. We will fight them in the trenches. We will fight them in the hills. We will fight them in the fields. Like We will fight them in the ocean, you know, in the sea. He goes, and, and then he goes, never give up. Never, ever give up. Never, ever, 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 ever give up. So I thought I would just come to my family, my friends, and say, never give up. You want to give up. Sometimes I want to give up. Sometimes you're going to walk in on me, and I'm going to be on the last rep of my last set, and it looks like I'm about to give up. You know how you get weak, not just tired? When you think that this is all there is. When you have no hope, You can't see beyond the moment when the present crisis and troubles is the only thing there is. And you have that feeling because this is the only thing you have to hold on to you. There's a spiritual corruption inside of every one of us that separates us from relationship with God called sin. Sin, which corrupts us, separating us from God, leads us on a life course where we wrongly believe that this is all there is. 
And when you believe that this is all there is, you give up. Because what you expect is just fun. And anything that gets in the way of fun and happiness is stealing from you. And so you get mad and you curse it. Because this is all there is. Sin, separating us from God, corrupting and wrecking our life, leads us toward a forever far from God. Yes, it's true. Nearly everything wrong in your life, pain, suffering, grief, hardship, and even the troubles that you carry inside are all a result of sin, a spiritual corruption. I'm not saying your sin. I'm saying sin in general. Sometimes our sin though, right? Like if we're honest. So we need a God-sized answer for a spiritual problem. So as the Apostle Paul is writing, he's encouraging them. And in fact, if you go back to the beginning of the letter, kind of like, how did he start this? He's, he's trying to challenge and encourage them. And he says this in, in chapter one, verse six, he says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you welcomed the message, the message of the gospel of Jesus in the midst of severe suffering with joy given by the Holy Spirit. I don't know, as I was reading that, I thought, I want that. I, I wanna have joy in the midst of suffering, severe suffering. How do you get that? Because you receive, you welcome the message of God's love with joy. So let me call a timeout. God faced your problem with pain. He took on the sickness of our suffering. God stepped from heaven to earth, became one of us. He intervened in our story. He took on your shame, my guilt, the suffering of this world placed on Jesus. He didn't have to die on a cross. He chose to die on the cross to absorb our sin judgment. The death sentence every one of us deserve. He took on himself and he died in our place. But Jesus didn't just die. He didn't just die to forgive us of our sins. No, the story of the God man is that as after Jesus died and was buried in the tomb on that Easter Sunday morning, the heart that had stopped and been fully dead for those days began to beat again. A body that was not circulating blood began to circulate blood again. A brain that did not have any brain waves began to have brain waves. And the body of Jesus came back to physical, supernatural, and spiritual life. His spirit entered back into him. And Paul writes later that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead will raise you from the dead and quicken your bodies. Meaning when you believe in Jesus by faith, the same thing that happened to Jesus begins to happen in you. You're forgiven of sin. You're given a new life. God's spirit comes into your spirit and begins to change things from the inside out. And you're given not just a new spirit, new life, but eternal life. You begin to believe that this isn't how the story ends. No matter what I go through in this life, let me say it again. No matter what you go through in this life, this is not how the story ends. No matter what you're going through, and some of you, you've been walking through so much. You're carrying so much. You want to give up. This is not how your story ends. No matter what, there is an eternal life waiting for you. 
So can I just, for one moment, invite you. If you've never put your faith in Jesus, would you say yes to Jesus by faith right now? Whether you're here in person, you're joining us online, you're ready to say yes to Jesus, to believe in him, to ask him to forgive you of your sins and give you new and forever life. Can I encourage you? Not only would you say yes to Jesus, but since you know that what's coming is more challenges and trials and hardship, would you let somebody know? Tell a friend, tell a neighbor, tell your family, and let us know. When you scan that QR code that's on the screen, when you do, you fill out the form. One of our pastors is gonna follow up with you and encourage you. You're here in Hagerstown. Pastor Spencer is gonna follow up with you. You're joining us online. Our, our, our online pastors will follow up with you to encourage you because it can be discouraging. But I want you to experience what the Apostle Paul wrote where because you received the message with joy, because you, you welcomed it in your life. You're given strength to endure. Now, as you believe in Jesus by faith, in joy, you begin to imitate the way others are living as they follow Jesus. Let, let me jump to, to a key point here. He goes to uh, chapter two, verse 14 and 15. He says this, for you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's church. Remember, I just read this in verse six. You, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. He goes, now you're imitating other churches. He goes, you became imitators of God's churches in Judea. Remember, they're in Thessalonica. He's saying, you, you heard the stories about the church in Jerusalem that was suffering persecution. How did they do it? Because they were in Christ Jesus. And then there's a, there's a colon there. He goes, you suffered for... You, from your own people, the same things those churches suffered from the Jews. He goes, in the midst of suffering, when everything feels like it's against you, when the world is pressing in and troubles are pressing in, how do you do it? How do you get through? Because he goes, you're imitating others who endured by focusing on Jesus. Did you catch that? So what's the, what's the application point? When pressed, press into Jesus. When pressed, Press into Jesus. One of two things is gonna happen. Your troubles are gonna press you away from God, push you away from God, or push you closer. Right? When you're in trouble, tend to do one, you tend to do something like this. You either try harder on your own, I'm gonna get myself through this. So a lot of like independent people are kind of that way. Like you were raised to kind of do it on your own, hard work, grit, and you're like, I'll just keep going harder. And but when you get to the end of yourself, then what do you do? You Throw your hands up in the air and say, like, forget it. Or you lean on somebody else, right? Like, help. But what you discover is that <sighs> no, nobody, can hold, nobody can do enough to really pull you through it, right? At some point, you gotta press into Jesus. Your troubles, the hardships, the pain, the suffering, while they push you away from God, God, why are you doing this to me? God, why are you allowing this to happen? Or press you into Jesus. You discover a deep relationship with God that you could have never known only in good times and happiness. There's a, another letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. In the Bible, it's simply called the letter to the Philippians. Paul's writing from prison to a church also suffering great persecution. And about halfway through the letter, he writes this, paragraph, and he goes, I want to know him. 
And I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. And so I'm thinking like if I'm in the weight room, right? And I'm, that's the moment when you're like, you're, you're, you're getting ready to PR to hit your personal record. And you're like, you got the weight and you're like, Bruh! and you're like, you get it up. You guys are a tough crowd. Come on, right? Like the power of his resurrection. And then, thank you. And then he goes, and the fellowship in his suffering. <laughs> and I'm like, ah! Ah! and then I'm like, and then like, there's nobody in there spotting me because it's early in the morning, and I got to throw the bar off and chop the weight because it's about to crush me. Fellowship in his suffering. What? Is Paul? Is he masochistic? What's wrong with this guy? So I had to dig deep. I had to go a little deeper in that passage because I'm like, I love the idea of the power of his resurrection. But for him to say, and to know him in the fellowship of his suffering. What is he saying there? So I, I dug deep and here, here's that word. Again, it's written in Greek. So the word fellowship is the word koinonia, which doesn't mean a lot to you, except that when I unpack it and explain it, you're gonna be like, that's what he meant. The word fellowship is this word of communal intimacy in Jesus. Okay, what does that mean? We have a holiday set up just for koinonia. It's called Thanksgiving. We get together as a family and friends. We, we fellowship. We enjoy a huge meal together for the express purpose of saying thank you to God. When you have Thanksgiving dinner together, now my wife is Italian. And so they don't have like, you don't set a time. Like you just eat all day. Just endless courses, and you just eat until you can't eat anymore, and then you go excuse yourself so that you can eat more. And they, they understand koinonia. You're not in a hurry to get out of it. You're not in a hurry to get through it. The whole point is to enjoy it. You fellowship at the table of Thanksgiving. You share life together. Imagine this. This is the Apostle Paul. I want to Thanksgiving dinner with Jesus in my suffering. We are in such a hurry to get out of it, to get through it, to escape it, that we miss the opportunity to say, Jesus, would you pass the mashed potatoes and the turkey in the middle of my grief, in the middle of my financial devastation? <laughs> Jesus, would you pass the stuffing? And the, and the um, marshmallow-covered yams? Somebody's getting hungry here. You can tell I'm a little hungry. Think about it. No, 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 you're missing the power of this. You want to escape suffering because you think that suffering is the problem when what you're missing is in the suffering, there's something beautiful happening. It's stripping you of yourself and you're experiencing Jesus in a way you couldn't because now, only now, are you sitting at a table going, in the middle of my grief when I've got nothing left, I have enough of Jesus. Jesus, I just want more of you. Pass the mashed potatoes. I don't want to get out of this moment. I've looked back on my life, how many moments I've tried to escape suffering. But you go through enough of it, you start to realize that what God wants to do is in it. I mean, you're not going to avoid it anyway, right? You're not going to escape it. So you may as well have Thanksgiving dinner in it. You may as well sit down with Jesus and press into him. Just spend a little more time just koinoneing with Jesus, just enjoying the time together. And as you do that, what you're going to discover is that Jesus is more than enough. 
He's sufficient in your suffering. And what you're going to discover then is that Jesus is your spotter. <laughs> I'm going, I can't do it. And he's like, I got you. He's going to spot you. If you don't know in the gym, you, know, you got that person standing behind you. If you don't go there by yourself. Who, who, if you can't get the bar off your chest, he's going to lift it up for you. But Jesus isn't just your spotter. He's also the source of your strength. He's enough. Which then leads to this. So jump over to the second letter, right? This is 2 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, chapter 2, verse uh, 14. He goes like this. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's... Wait, I, I went the wrong direction. That was 1 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 14. He goes, he called you to this through our gospel. That's the good news of Jesus that you might share in the glory of our Lord, Jesus Christ. He goes, you're going through all these hard times because of the good news in you, because of Jesus, so that you can share in the glory of God. Here's what he's getting at. He goes, you become more like Jesus when you go through this kind of stuff. You are pressed to become like Jesus. When you're pressed, stuff is pressed out of you and stuff is pressed into you. You ever notice that when you're stressed, when you're hangry, when you're a little frustrated, when you're going through a hard time, sometimes you say the wrong thing. What do you think is happening? Something is being pressed out of you. You, you reacted the wrong way. You, you show things that you wouldn't normally show. Anger comes out. Irritation comes out. A bad attitude comes out. Selfishness, entitlement. It squeezes out of you. Good. Now, if you don't believe in Jesus, what's coming out of you is what's only in you. But if you believe in Jesus, God is squeezing out of you stuff that doesn't belong in you. He's exposing it so he can work on it. It's pressing on you so that you become more like Jesus. It's squeezing out of you the wrong things. Your bad attitude, your selfishness, your saying the wrong thing. Numbing the pain with sin. All that's getting squeezed out so that what gets pressed into you is you being more like Jesus. The character of Christ. Being loving and sincere and selfless, kind and sacrificial, and generous. That's what's being pressed into you is, God, make me more like you. Isn't that, I mean, that was what Ignatius of Antioch said. He goes, only now am I truly becoming a disciple of Jesus. I want nothing in the visible or the invisible that everyone else is chasing, but to win Christ. That only happens in the pressing of suffering. And then there's one more. Let me keep reading that passage right there. He goes like this. He called you to this, through the good news of Jesus Christ, through the gospel, that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you might become more like him and shine the light of God. So then, brothers and sisters, just give up. I know it's so hard, and you got nothing left in you. Just quit. Is that what he says? Come on. He goes like this. He goes, <laughs> For what reason? So then, all of that to say, brothers and sisters, stand firm. Hold to the teachings passed on to you. Don't you ever quit. Never, ever, 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 ever give up. Never give up. 
When pressed, just press on. Keep going. Stay the course. Don't you quit. You don't think that the enemy is trying to knock you off your game? You don't think that there is a real spiritual enemy plotting your destruction? Wanting you to walk out on your marriage? Wanting you to back down from parenting your children the right way? Wanting you to yield ground in your home, in your mind, in your emotions, in your heart, in your finances? Don't you give him an inch. You never give up. I know. Look, you're not weak. You're just weary. You need a break. Man, that's what, that's what we do when we gather together. It's a little bit of a reprieve, a little refreshing. Some of you, you do need to take a day off and rest in Jesus. But a day off resting in Jesus does not mean you're giving up. You never give up. When pressed, you press on in hope. You wanna know what the hope is? The Apostle, Peter, uh, Apostle Paul gives it. Jump back to the first letter. This is toward the end of his letter. He goes like this. I know you're, like he's writing, he's writing to a church that's huddled up in catacombs who quit their jobs is just waiting for Jesus to come back. And he goes, look, I want you to know that that day will come. So you can read it. Here it is. He goes like this. This is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17 and 18. He goes like this. Um, we, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. What's the words of encouragement? This is not how your story ends. This is not the end. This life is not all there is. A day will come. Now, there might be a day when God just comes back, blows a loud heavenly trumpet and ends it all and just takes you up to go to heaven. This word is this, like the word he uses, like we will be snatched up or you'll be caught up or you'll be raptured up to meet those who are already dead in Christ and we'll have a giant family reunion of thanksgiving. In the meantime, be encouraged with these words. Your life doesn't end in death. Death ends in forever life. This isn't the story of how your marriage ended or your job ended or you got greedy or you got selfish and focused on yourself. No, the way this story goes is that a day will come when God will call the end. The alarm goes off, the, the game ends and we win. In the meantime, keep fighting, keep going, never give up. Do what's right. Love. Love generously and radically. Give sacrificially and selflessly. Serve others as serving unto the Lord. Be quick to forgive, quick to care, quick to show compassion. See others in need and generously give of yourself even when it hurts. Don't huddle up and hide under the catacombs. Get out and live your love out loud. Show others how to follow God and worship God boldly and radically. Never give up. Don't ever give up. There's gonna be moments in your life. I've been through them. Just recently was whispering under my breath to my wife. Lord, I can't do this anymore. I'm tired of this. And I felt like I had to gut punch myself. I go, no, this is the wrong attitude. I refuse to quit. I refuse to give up. I'm gonna press on. So every one of you that are at that place, you've recently been at that place, I'm gonna just pray over you, okay? 
Jesus, thank you that you didn't give up on us. And as a result, we're all sitting here, whether in person or online, we're here, which means we haven't given up. There's breath in our lungs. And so Holy Spirit, would you come and strengthen us? And by your spirit, would you empower us to never give up? To empower us, you're our spotter and our strength to keep going, doing what's right, doing what's best, giving, loving, serving, and caring for others. Lord, would you be our strength? Help us to press into you. Help us to become more like you when we're pressed. Help us to press on. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.